This sermon has taken so many iterations, it's crazy. It started out as a management principle series. It moved then to some other possibilities, and then it became by the staff encouragement something more agricultural to fit in with uh, what goes on uh, with God's people in the Old Testament. So I know that Chris has already started timing me, so I need to move on. In the last two sermons that he's preached, one was the longest on record here, and the other one was the shortest on record. (laughs) So he's still finding his way. Good for him. (laughs) Throughout our Bible, we find the metaphor of working the land, whether it's crops or flocks, it's working the land. Israel was a difficult land to work with. If you've been there, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It is arid. It is rocky. In fact, carpenters there, as Jesus' father was and Jesus became under his leadership, were basically stonemasons. They didn't have much wood to work with. It was mostly rock and forming rock into shapes and creating houses made out of rock. It's still the way it is in Israel. The water from underground in Israel is laden with minerals. Minerals that are great for hot baths, but not for growing plants or satisfying thirst. To say the least, Israel was a land that was challenging. I say was because today Israel is a lush land when compared with its neighbors. Why? Because of drip irrigation. The one river... The only river in Israel that you can count on is the Jordan. The rest are basically wadis, wash-throughs, after the rare storms that happen. But they have captured it. They have cleaned it from the minerals. They created a canal running all the way from Galilee to the Dead Sea to pull all the mineral water out. And they're able to drip irrigate the land, and it is lush. When you go to the Golan Heights, You discover what the other lands look like. You can tell the border by the green line that begins in Israel. Drip irrigation, the great stewardship of water. There I use the word, stewardship. It's a word very rarely used in the American culture, unless you go to church. And even there, it's a word used primarily during those times when the church is going to talk about money. It is often flagged by the response, okay, here we go. They want my money and they want more of it. But please, let me be clear and transparent. While stewardship includes the topic of money and we are not afraid or ashamed to speak about that, it is far more significant than merely money. It is far more significant than the stuff that we have. Let me give you some perspective from a story I told you a year ago when we began another series similar to this. This story puts stewardship in its proper perspective. It was an honor to bring several teams to the Navajo people on the Navajo Reservation in Arizona. I was privileged to meet with one of the most respected men in the tribal council. There has been no chief of the Navajo since the early 30s. In fact, the head of the Navajo Nation is known as President. 
So I met with this man, and he was a wonderful Christian, and I asked him how Christianity came to the Navajo people in the first place. He told me this story. When the early and first missionaries came with compassion and the gospel of Jesus, the chief came and offered their new God his blanket, his peace pipe, and his pony. The missionary thought long and hard and responded to the chief. My God doesn't want your blanket. He doesn't want your peace pipe. He doesn't want your pony. And there was a long silence, as you can only imagine. Then the chief responded, what, what does your God want? The missionary responded very quickly, he wants you. Again, there was a long pause. And the chief responded, you have a very wise God. Because he knows that if he gets me, he also gets my blanket and my peace pipe (laughs) and my pony. Our God is quite clear. What he wants is us. He wants each of us individually. He wants all of us both this way and this way. All of me and all of the me's here and around the world. That's what he wants. That's what he's always wanted. After more than two years, our vitality team completed its task of gathering information about us, about what God wants from us, about the community in which we live, about our history. So many pieces of information were gathered and have been printed up in a wonderful booklet for us. They brought to us a proposed vision statement that we adopted at our semi-annual meeting this past year. Bethany Covenant Church, inviting people to know God, inspiring people to follow Jesus, inviting, involving people in service to our neighbors, both near and far. This morning, we will consider the first of those vision statements and seek to work out our salvation by inviting people to know God. Listen to what Jesus prayed in John 17. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Eternal life. I think we think too small of eternal life. Eternal life is not just merely linear, chronological. Eternal life is explosive. It includes abundant life, full life, nothing but life, total life, complete life. It's kind of like some of these balls that are still hanging from the last series. The light from those balls where there's a light inside of them goes in every direction all at one time. It comes toward us, it goes opposite us. It goes to the side, it goes to the other side. It goes at an angle, up and down, everywhere. It's like a starburst. That's what eternal life is like. And eternal life in knowledge is to know God and his son, Jesus the Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, open our minds to receive your truth. Open our hearts to receive your love. Open our hands to bless others. Open our lives to be fully engaged as your witnesses, examples of yours, so that others may be drawn to know you and your Son, in whose name 
we always pray. Amen. God is a self-revealer. This is a basic Theology 101 lesson to help set the stage for this whole series and the remainder of this sermon. God self-reveals. He is not secretive. He is not private in his ways. God reveals himself generally. As we look at the next slide, God self-reveals to all people at all times, in all places, through their observation of nature and their intuitive thoughts. This is known as general revelation. I looked because this TV is not showing the slides. If we can make that happen, that would be helpful. Thank you. God reveals generally to the whole world. He always has. It's not specific. It's not special. Hang on. We'll come to that. It's general. Here's an example of general revelation. In the northern lights off an island on the coast of Alaska near the Kenai Peninsula. Several years ago, I had taken trips every summer with groups of men and their kids, boys and girls, up to the Boundary Water Canoe area of northern Minnesota. We went to go fishing, but really we went to develop relationships between dads and their kids, and to develop relationships between families, dads and their kids, and God. One night, we were stunned at the northern lights. They just filled the entire sky. None of us had ever seen it so grand before. The next morning, we had about 30 of us camping in three campsites. You can just have 10 maximum in a campsite. There was another group of guys that were up there fishing at the same time, and we saw them early the next day as we were getting ready to go out and do some fishing and just playing together as dads and kids, and we commented on the northern lights, and they said, yeah, that was really, it was really cool. That was neat. It was great. Isn't nature wonderful? And one of our kids said, no, isn't God really wonderful? That kid caught it, the general revelation in the observation of nature. Another slide, as a child, I grew up looking at Mount Rainier every day when the clouds didn't cover it. I've hiked its base. I've climbed more than a third of the way to the top. I've taken hundreds of pictures from every vista point you can imagine. I've seen wildlife from the smallest of the chipmunks to the noisiest of the birds to the largest of the black bears. Every time I'm drawn to the magnificence of God's creation. Carolyn tells me every time she goes for a walk in the woods, that's when she feels closest to God. She experiences the presence of God and the grandeur of the creation, the intricacy of it. We've had some wonderful walks together in the woods, especially in the winter, and we've noticed little tracks running off here and running off there. And as we walk along, we make up stories about what God's doing in that animal's life or what God did with those people whose footprints are going off trail. And we're going, wow. Since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made. We're given a gift in general revelation to see the handiwork of God, how things work together, how things are so balanced. Everything has its place and its purpose, even mosquitoes. Anybody here like mosquitoes? 
Oh, you're, you don't need counseling. That's good. But they're made for bats. Bats love them. I pray for more bats every summer. <laughs> Another aspect of general revelation is that mankind is made in the likeness of God. Every culture across the world has had a belief in something that is beyond themselves, a higher power, or in our age and the work of the film companies, a divine force. May the force be with you. We've heard that how many times in the Star Wars trilogies. A higher power, a force, a god or gods. Atheism is not a long-standing experience in our world. It's relatively new. Over the last 100, 150 years is when atheism began to rise up. Religion has been a part of every culture, all times and in all places, because people are innately believing something bigger than themselves is out there. It's a general revelation, so they don't know specifics, but they know something. And religions have been established, anthropomorphic religions, Religions made in the image of man because inside the man and the woman, there's this notion, there's someone, something out there that's done this. This doesn't just happen. We have general revelation. A philosopher, physicist, and mathematician, Blaise Pascal, in the 1600s wrote this. There's a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every man which cannot be filled by any created thing, but only by God, the creator, may known through Jesus. And that segues into the other part of God's self-revealing. Not just general, but special, specific. God self-reveals through miraculous means, including physical appearances, dreams, visions, the written scripture, and most significantly, Jesus the Christ. This is what's called in theology special revelation. Let me br briefly mention just two of these, the most significant. First, the scriptures. You see there, if you can, do we need a new projector, Chris? <laughs> just saying. That's the Dead Sea Scrolls, a picture of the Dead Sea Scrolls. It's an amazing document that has verified the Bible in ways that are astounding statistically for the Bibles that we have being very close to the original in terms of content and character. God reveals himself in the scriptures by the things he has done, by the statements he has made, by the expectations of us that he declares. God reveals himself specifically, not generally. Listen to what the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy. All scripture is God-breathed. God-breathed. Does that trigger anything for you? God's breath is only mentioned three times. Four if you take one as a story, the dry bones. But the breath of God is what took the lump of clay and made it alive at creation. Jesus, with his disciples in John 20, breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. And here's the third, the scripture. It is God-breathed. 
It is life-giving. It holds life and it dispenses life. All scriptures God breathed is useful for teaching. And teaching has three aspects to it. Rebuking, telling us what's wrong. Correcting, showing us what's right. And training in righteousness how to be what God wants. So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work which we are intended to do. Works don't save us, but works validate that God is working in us and pouring himself into us so that God's character and function can come out of us with each other. It's a special revelation of Scripture. Listen to what Jesus says as he speaks with those who are the teachers of the Scriptures, but who use it to gain control over them rather than to bless them and enliven them. You pour over the scriptures, for you imagine that you will find eternal life in them, he says. And all the time they give their testimony to me. But you're not willing to come to me to have real life, John 5. And that leads to the second and most special of the revelations of God, Jesus. Now, you're used to the Solomon picture of Jesus, A vast majority of the older covenant churches have that because he went around from covenant church to covenant church when my parents were young and did chalk drawings of his head of Christ. So a lot of churches have his paintings. I happen to prefer Hook, who is on the right. I just feel like that's more realistic to me, but that's just me. We have taste. So I put them both up there to try and capture everybody with Solomon's head or Hook's head of the Christ. Listen to what the Apostle John writes in the prologue to his gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. As a word represents a thought, the Logos, the word for word, is the representation of God. Jesus is that representation of God. That is a special revelation. That is specific. That is not general. It is totally unique and special. We read also in the Hebrews, chapter 1, verses 1 to 3, In the past God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days... He has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he also made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sin, the crucifixion, the resurrection, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Special revelation, my friends. We who are Christians have the blessing and the distinct advantage of godly eyes observing God's general revelation through both creation and intuition. God has blessed us, Christians, with God awareness and God thoughts. It's a gift. Even more, please hear this. This is crucial. Even more, we who are Christians have the blessing 
and the distinct advantage of God's special revelation by the scriptures and the personal relationship we have with his complete revelation, Jesus Christ, the Son, and our Savior. With all this blessing and advantage we have as Christians, is it any wonder that God calls us to invite people to know him? We have the advantage of knowing him. That doesn't make us better than other people. It makes us more responsible to declare him, to present him, to help people beyond, beyond ourselves to know him as we move forward in our life. But there's a crucial question we must ask ourselves. It's a surprising question, perhaps. It's an obvious question, and it's a core question. Do I know God? Do we know God? We may know about God, but do we really know God? Do we seek with diligence to know God more? Is the knowledge of God of great importance to us? These are the questions to reel our lives in towards God's will. You remember this from several months ago in a morning service.
I tried to take those words and quote them. Didn't work. Thank God for videos. If we are truly a church that is inviting people to know God, we need to know God. Are you doing your part? Are we doing our part to know him? There are so many opportunities here at Bethany to know him. Just a few. There's a class that takes place today at 11 o'clock. Christ in the Psalms and Prophets, because they predict him. It's a great class. Those who are already there love it. They're getting to know Christ better. And by that, they're getting to know God. There's another class called Christ Exalted in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews, a wonderful take on the Old Testament explaining how it shows Christ and prepares the way for him to come as the promise given to Adam and Eve in the fall. There's a third class at 11 o'clock today called Casket Empty. Now that sounds interesting. Primarily it's an overview of the whole Bible, Old and New Testaments. Opportunities to know the specific and special revelation of the scriptures which point to the special revelation of Jesus Christ, who is the person of God, sent to us to reveal God especially. If that is not enough, on Wednesday night there's a prayer gathering at 6 o'clock for people to be in touch with God directly and to hear from God specifically. And at 6.30 there's another class. Now this class is very interesting to me. They're walking through the whole Bible. They began five years ago in Genesis. They are now in Isaiah. For those of you who like to power walk, this is not your class. For those of you who are willing to plumb deeply the scriptures, this is a marvelous class for you. That's at 6.30 on Wednesdays. These opportunities are based on the special revelation of the scripture and the person of Jesus. They are meant for us to be able to know God fully. That's why they're there. There's many other doors to open up for us to know God. Those are just special classes to be aware of. Take the opportunity, if you're not already. Because without knowing God ourselves, how can we invite others to know him? And you don't have to wait until you know God fully. We can discover God together with people. We may be further on the road than some people not in the church. But we can help. We can partner with them. So that we can fulfill the vision that we have. In part to invite people to know God. And if we get to know God, it will bring a transformation to each life. Now, in regard to style, let's follow Jesus' example very quickly. We are not called to persuade. We are not called to pronounce. We are not called to debate. We are not called to convict. 
That's not how we build relationships. We are called to give witness, to be examples for Christ. We are called to invite, to be invitational people. We are meant to be people of good news, which means we're to be good news people. Join me. Let's do this together. It's invitational. And in conclusion, a final question for each of us. Who does God want me to invite to know him this year? Who in your life is God placing on your mind and in your heart to invite them to know him? There are some sheets in the pew rack in front of you. They're the white ones in the very front. They look like, if I can get it, this. Some instructions are there. I invite you to take this with you after service today. Perhaps God has already revealed to you a person or a couple of people he would like you to invite to know himself. Write down their names for yourself. Put that in your Bible or in a place that you get to regularly so you see their names and can be praying for them, for opportunities for God to give you to be invitational. And if you don't have those names right now, that's fine. Pray that God will reveal to you a person or no more than three people to be invitational for. After you have up to three names, I would ask you to do this favor for me. At the bottom of that sheet, you'll find shorter lines. If you please put the first name only of each person, or if you need to, just say person one, because we want to keep this confidential between you and God, and place that in the offering plate next Sunday so that we can gather those together and pray over the people that people are seeking to invite to know God. It means we work to know God better ourselves, and we are invitational with people in our lives that they will come to know God. It's being intentional about the vision that we agreed as a congregation together to live into and to live up to. Pray with me as we begin this adventure together of being an invitational people. Father, we are not just stewards of the resources we have, money and stuff. We are stewards of your kingdom. We are stewards of your gospel. We are stewards of your call for us to be witnesses, examples, invitational to people in their lives. We are stewards of knowing you and the special revelation that has revealed you. Help us to know you more. Place in us a deep hunger for you through your Son by the teachings of the Bible that you've given to us. Equally, Father, please put in us a passion to invite people to join us in knowing you. This is life. Eternal, abundant, starburst life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.